Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because, you know, if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish. Or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps, because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Alexa, who is Adam Ferrara? Adam Ferrara is an American actor and comedian known for playing the roles of Chief Needles Nelson on Rescue Me, Sergeant Frank Virelli opposite Edie Falco on Nurse Jackie. He was a co-host on the U.S. version of Top Gear. Adam's podcast is a big hit and available everywhere. Sounds like it could be funny. Sounds to me like 30 minutes you'll never get back. They're here. Now we can start. We have another great show for you this week. My guest in the ADD interview is legendary rock photographer Bob Gruen. Nerd alert. Nerd alert. Nerd alert. Adam's happy. And we want to welcome everyone from our Talk To Me Tuesday family. That's our conversation we have every week, 9 o'clock Eastern, 6 p.m. Pacific. Go to my website on Tuesday. Click the link. Join our conversation. And our super fan shout out for the twins, Diana and Athena. How are you guys? Hey, guys. Diane and Athena. Yes. It's very Greek mythology there mm-hmm. or Roman mythology. I like that. I, I think it's Zeus's wife and the goddess of the hunt. Am I right? Yes. Yeah. Well, no. <laughs> Athena was his daughter. Diana, also known as Artemis, was the goddess of the hunt. Athena was like the goddess of wisdom and mm-hmm. all these different things. I like the fact I have Bob Gruen on and I said nerd alert and Stern one ups me with mythology alert. I mean, look, <laughs> I'm already I'm already on a narrow path. You are walking one <laughs> foot in front of the other. Of course I did that. I will out nerd you any day of the week and I'm going to get nerdy about Gruen because I love this stuff, too. Mm-hmm. Let's just face it. I'm a big, happy nerd. That's who I am. Yeah. All right. <laughs> You know, you know, some casting director called me when I came to Hollywood. She goes, you're a lerd. I go, what? She goes, you're a lerd. You're somewhere between a leading man and a nerd. You're a lerd. And I went, hmm. okay, great. This is, this is not going well at all. <laughs> not only do they label you, they tell it to you to your face. This is your little box, Adam. Here's your box. Get in there! <laughs> right. And never, we're never going to let you out. Mm. Well, I had this actually, not, not to go off on a tangent here, this was actually said to me by a high-level radio official that when I worked in a company, Clear Channel, mm-hmm. this guy was one of the managers, like a, like a regional manager. And he came to me, and he knew I was. He goes, yeah, I don't dislike you. I dislike the idea of you. What's the, what? <laughs> What's, a radio producer? That's I the idea of him. you? 
Uh, yeah, I was like, well, are you going to dislike me when I kick in the groin? Like, F you, buddy. Like, that's, <laughs> Look, that's nothing but an insult. I'm sorry you're ambivalent. Now I'm going to give you a reason. <laughs> Take that. <laughs> now you know yeah. why you don't like me. <laughs> yeah, now yeah. you have a reason. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, listen, that guy, guy, that guy could not recognize your talent because I want to congratulate Stern. Me and Alex want to congratulate Mark Stern and brag about you. He is the new producer of PTI on ESPN. Yay. How great is that? <laughs> Super <laughs> duper. You. You, do you remember Michael Wilbon and Tony Kornheiser, honey? Yes. Yes, that's the show, PTI. And, yes. now, and they don't make a move without Stern. That's goddess great. of the hunt. That's Mark great. Stern, goddess, <laughs> goddess of the scoreboard. God of the scoreboard. Eh, I've seen him in a kilt. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you both very much. That that means an awful lot to me. Let me, let me just tweak that just a little bit uh-huh. by saying they didn't hire me as the producer. Eric Rideholm and Matt Kelleher are the two lead dogs, and they do a phenomenal job. I am what we call... An on-site producer, I mm-hmm. guess. I help. I help Tony in his remote studio because okay. he doesn't like to go back to the to, to the main studio. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like getting invited to play on like the twenty-seven Yankees and being like, "Wow, you guys are really good." Now I see it up, up close and personal. You know, it's everybody on board is fantastic. It's been really fun to be a part of it, and uh, it, it's been a blast. It, it's I guess if there's been one difficult thing, Mm -hmm. it's like it's changed my schedule completely. Mm -hmm. So it's been a little bit of an adjustment for me to try and be more organized so I'm not dropping the ball on stuff. Okay, Um, so so you had a change to become more organized. Yes. Well, let's just say that that change is ongoing. Right, okay. (laughs) It's a little bit of a train wreck. But but yeah, it's that has been the goal and and where I'm making progress is to become more organized in my day and my life. Did you get a pill caddy? (laughs) Yeah, but I could use one. Yeah. What? The pill caddy makes you organize. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, I got to take my pills. He's, he's, he's not 90, Adam. I know, but I'm, try, I'm trying to help him. Okay. It's the little thing, right? Yeah. Baby steps. Man. I, you know what? I should make that change too, Stern. I should be more organized. I, I, I got shit all over the place. I have a solution for that. Go ahead. The top drawer, mm-hmm. <laughs> slide everything in, shut it. I do that a lot, mm-hmm. but eventually... You need more drawers. Yeah. <laughs> or it's a waterfall. Mm, yeah. You're like, oh, I've already chugged all the crap in this one. All right. Well, what's the, oh, those are actually closed. I can't mm-hmm. put it in there now. Yeah. So, but it, it, it's good change. You know, I, listen, I embrace change in life. I think it's good. And I wasn't really seeking this. It just sort of came to me. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm, I mean, the cats don't really give me pointers about what I need help on. But mm-hmm. if, I'm sure if I live with someone, they'd be like, well, now that we're talking about it, you could work on this, this and this. You couldn't be more right, Stern. I, I live with someone, and there's a whole list of changes that I'm should be made. They're typed. She, she's actually <laughs> put them in the computer, printed them out. <laughs> I'm going to come home from the road. Next time, they're going to be framed and hanging on the wall. <laughs> well, well, Alex, uh, I love that you, you want to make your man a better man. Mm. If there was one thing at the top, like, you know, that you could you could have Adam work on a personal change or, or you know, it's, it's all personal. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So some change that Adam could work on to, to, to get him to a better place. What would that one thing, Miss Alex, what would you like? Mm, maybe not to lose his temper so quickly. What? <laughs> <laughs> Just to kind of embrace the fun, the, uh, the, that's not a word, funness. Of life. Funness. Yeah. Yeah. I thought you said fungus. Made, That's no. Right. The fungus of life. No. I should enjoy the fungus of life. Like if there's, if things aren't going your way, just to kind of roll with it rather than mm-hmm. pick it, it apart. Hit it with a hammer. <laughs> yes. Yeah. 
Yeah. <laughs> okay. Drive over it. Okay. Yeah. She's not wrong. His, his... <laughs> I would like awareness is a yes, big thing. I would like good. to wait. I would like to change the way I respond to uncertainty. It's like when you're driving a car, right? That's it. Yeah. When you when you when you're sliding a car, you got to load up the suspension, and then you got to give the car a minute to respond to the input. Mm-hmm. I mean, this thing weighs it, you know, a couple of tons. So if you wanted to slide to the left, you got to load the suspension, throw the weight that way, and let the weight transfer. You know, I I don't have the patience for that. Turn! You know, I don't have the patience for that. <laughs> now, I'm not saying that that's not good TV viewing. No, that's true. But I, here, made, I made a living doing it. <laughs> but here at home, we kind of want some peace. Yeah, I do. I do. I, it, you're not wrong. I go to that. I go, I'm in the prevent defense. I saw my father do it. I saw my father, you know, before it gets out of control, kill it now, you know? And mm-hmm. that, that's why I'm in a doom cycle. I I, I have no defense, Your Honor. But that's good. That's good. Being aware of it, you know, is half the battle. But then, you, and but now that we pointed this out, maybe you can make some positive change with that. I have half the battle, but I'm losing the war. I'm. I'm, I'm... <laughs> all right. He, he just has to surrender. That's it. That's all I'm waiting for that day. Th- that's that, that's what, you know what she's waiting for. She's waiting for me to do this. All right. Fuck it. <laughs> I am. Take me now, Lord. <laughs> no, not that. Do it. Not, that's it. That's not you it. You win. No, just relax. No more. Like I'm, you know, Day. I'm looking for. I I can actually tell you a story, and you won't like freak out. It'll be just like, oh, really? How? Every, here's what it is. She'll start telling me a story, uh-huh. and I'm like, all right, what do I have to move? Exactly. What do I have to buy? What yeah. do I have to get into the relaxed. action world? She's got to start the story like this. You don't need to do anything. I just want to tell you a story. <laughs> We're watching a movie last night. I'm like thinking to myself, is anything going to trigger him <laughs> in this movie? That's true. <laughs> <laughs> Are we going to just have a relaxing night or is no. something going to no. trigger his mind? You didn't see that coming? <laughs> that, that would be me. <laughs> she, she's not wrong. This <laughs> is tough but fair. Yeah, <laughs> it's just, I, I wish I could. Stri- I, I, you know what it is? Is I have anxiety, so I got a structure. The structure sure. helps me with the anxiety, but I have anxiety. The fact that there's no structure, and I scream and yell, and I don't do structure, I just want to kill something. So that's my reaction. I have a solution. What is that? I have a couple gummies, Adam. I know. Eat, eat this. I eat. <laughs> now, this is the tough question. Go ahead. And because this could potentially. You know, you might need to be crashing on my couch. Mm-hmm. If there was one thing you could change about Alex. I would, would like be? her to be as nuts as I am so I have someone to scream with me. <laughs> <laughs> Don't you see the danger and peril we're in at every waking moment, woman? <laughs> <laughs> Why do I have to convince you we don't need that? Send it back. <laughs> do you eat every day? Tell me now. <laughs> so you want her to be neurotic? You want her to starve herself? These are some things that we could do. That's right. On. Join me in this doom cycle. Why do I have to worry alone? This is my question. Yeah. I'm not going down with the ship, Adam. And I am. Every friggin' day. <laughs> I wish there was like a little food thing I could give him besides gummies that mm-hmm. would make you like it would change everything. I know. And my wife keeps saying, you have to trust. You have to you have to look at the big picture. I look at the big picture and yet I'm terrified of the first of the month. That's what I'm fixated on. But see, that's where you're in a, uh, what is it called? A doom cycle. Yeah. You're in a doom cycle. Yeah. You know, if I didn't know any better, I'd swear you think I was the problem. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> hmm. <laughs> I'll tell you, you know what it is? I go back to that structure. That kind of soothes my anxiety, but it's 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 fool's gold. It's pyrite because there is no 
control. There's just the illusion of control. And I know intellectually, I know that emotionally I'm a mess. <laughs> but Bob Gruen actually became one of the most iconic rock and roll photographers when there was no blueprint for what he did. He grabbed a camera and he put himself in a position to succeed when he didn't even know what success would look like. Bingo. He rolled with what life gave him. Yeah. And I hate him for it. Okay. <laughs> but I really enjoyed talking to him. And you guys are really going to enjoy this. So you guys listen to this and we will see you on the other side. The world is an uncertain place. Things change fast and it can be difficult to see what's coming next. But with the right approach, you can make things easier for yourself. All right. Fuck it. <laughs> Take me now, Lord. That's it. That's not (laughs) it. You win. You're listening to the Adam Ferrara Podcast. This is 30 Minutes You'll Never Get Back. I am in such a mood today. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because, you know, if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app Answer a few questions and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. I got some stand updates for you. New Year's Eve, I am in Vegas, baby. Come see me at the Suncoast Hotel and Casino. February 9th through February 11th, I will be at the Helium in Indianapolis. February 17th and 18th, I will be at Uncle Vinny's in Point Pleasant, New Jersey. February 24th and the 25th, I'm going back to Strong Island. You can come see me at Governor's. And March 10th and 11th, I will be at Bananas Comedy Club in Rutherford, New Jersey. There's a list for tickets right here in the show notes, or you can go to my website and click the link there. And you know if you can make any of these shows, I want to say hello. So please come up and let me shake your hand and thank you for the love and support you've shown me and this podcast. Hey, go on, get out of here. Pay attention when I'm talking to you, boy. ADHD, it's not just for kids. Nice boy, but doesn't listen to a word you say. Welcome to the ADD interview. It's not that you're not interesting, it's just that I can't focus. And my guest this week is... Oh, look, a bird! My guest this week has had the ultimate backstage pass, and the history of rock and roll has been captured in his images. Just some of his famous photos include John Lennon in the New York City t-shirt, Led Zeppelin triumphantly standing outside their private jet, the Starship, and the Ramones outside of CBGB's. His iconic images have showed us what he saw, and his new book, entitled Right Place, Right Time, will tell us what he's learned. He did business with Ike Turner while Ike was on the toilet. A Japanese gangster cut off his pinky and presented it to him as a gift, 
and he had one of the last conversations with John Lennon just two days before his death. It's a big treat for me to talk to him, and I'm very grateful he's made some time for us today. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, it's legendary rock photographer Bob Gruen. How are you, my friend? I'm very good. Thanks for having me here. Sure, yeah. I mean, like I said, I had the Zeppelin poster on my wall. Uh, Very cool. Yeah, and uh, thank you for sending me the book. And you're a fellow Long Islander. Uh, Yes, yeah. That's where I grew up, but I kind of left as soon as I could. <laughs> yeah, we did. I did the same thing. It was a weird thing. Like the, a generation before us did everything mm. they could to get out of the city. And then exactly. I did everything I could to get back in. Yeah. Yeah. As soon as I was 18, uh, I, I moved back into Greenwich Village and been mm-hmm. there ever since. Well, there, there's so many moments in the book and there's so many pictures that everybody knows. Um, I, 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 I would like to ask you about uh, just the people and how everything came together. Uh, one of the things that, that, that struck me in the book was there was no blueprint for this. Uh, I had Ethan Russell on as well, and there was no blueprint for what you guys have done. So how did you find your way? Uh, just uh, every day. You know, you, you, uh, somebody once asked me and Malcolm McLaren what our plan was at the beginning. Mm-hmm. And Malcolm put it best. He said, well, you go to sleep at night and you have some plans for the next day, and then you wake up and things change. Yeah. And you do the best you can. And, you know, uh, being an independent freelance photographer is nice. You work for yourself, but that means you wake up every day unemployed. Yeah. <laughs> and you have to find somebody to give you money for something. So all my life, I've just tried to make things that people want. Find somebody who wants it, you know, and see if I can get some money for it. Um, but really, it was just one thing led to another and uh, some very lucky accidents. But you have to be in the right place in the right time and then do the right thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, it turned out that I was good at taking pictures. I, every time I did a job and somebody saw my pictures, I'd get hired for another job. And it really started snowballing after I met Ike and Tina Turner, um, which was, again, just a moment. Uh, we went to see an Ike and Tina show, and I thought she was amazingly fantastic. It was before I would even bring a camera to the show, but a couple of days later, they played again, and I brought my camera to see if I could take some pictures of Tina. She was just so amazing. Mm-hmm. And at the end, this show, she dances off stage with a strobe light flashing. And you just get all these different flashes of images. And I didn't know where to put the focus, the camera, or, or what timing. And I, But I had about four or five frames left in my camera, and I just turned to a one-second exposure. And thought maybe if I capture a couple of images, it might work. And four of them didn't work at all, and one of them is one of the best pictures I've ever taken. Um, it's a multiple image five images of Tina Turner just capturing the energy and the excitement. But then what happened is a couple of days later, they played again. They were playing four or five shows around the New York area. So this one was in New Jersey. We went down there and I brought some of the pictures to show to my friends. And because I had a couple of good ones that night. And as we were walking out, one of my friends saw Ike Turner walking from a, the, the dressing rooms were trailers at that point outside of a theater in the round. Mm-hmm. He saw Ike Turner walking and literally pushed me in front of Ike and said, show Ike the pictures. And he stopped and he looked at him and he said, oh, these are great. And I have to show him to Tina. He took me in the dressing room and all of a sudden Tina was looking at my pictures and, and liking them. And I was having trouble breathing. And um, <laughs> it started my career because I introduced me to a publicist who introduced me to another publicist who hired me to take pictures of a, a brand new piano player who was playing in New York for the first time. His name was Elton John. I've heard of him. And, and he liked my pictures and I started working with him for the next couple of years. And, uh, after two years, I was included in the first book of rock photography. And the writer for that book was doing a story about a band called The Elephant's Memory. But at that point, The Elephant's Memory was in the studio as John Lennon's backup band. 
So he asked me if I wanted to come and take some pictures of an interview he was doing with John Lennon and Yoko Ono. And I said, of course. <laughs> you know? and, um, and as things turned out, they liked my pictures. And uh, I'm still friends with Yoko today. So it really is just one thing leading to another, but then uh, doing the right thing. To, you know, I took good pictures when I met John and Yoko. Yeah, you said uh, doing the right thing. And that's got a lot of, uh, in reading the book, situational awareness. I remember the chapter in the book about uh, Phil Spector. And you're like, mm, this guy seems dangerous. <laughs> yeah. First night I met Phil, he was... Uh, kind of drunk and uh, uh, on a tear. It was the same day I met John and Yoko, and I asked him if I could come to the studio because the story I was doing, I met John and Yoko in a hotel with mm-hmm. the interview, and uh, he had told me when I got there, he said, John and Yoko I just woke up, and they were cranky, and they didn't want a photographer, but he said, hang around, they'll feel better, and they'll let you come up, and you'll take pictures, and they'll probably like your pictures, and they'll probably like you, and I remember him saying that, and I remember walking down the hall to the hotel room, and they finally did you know, let me come up, and I was so nervous, I was shaking, like I was just trembling because I was going to meet John and Yoko. And I realized I couldn't take pictures, you know, shaking like that. And mm-hmm. I remember stopping in the hallway and just taking a deep breath and saying, you know, my life's okay. Uh, this would be great if John and Yoko liked me. But the only way it could work is if I just do what I do and they just happen to like it. Mm-hmm. And some miracle, <laughs> that's what happened. I went in with calm and relaxed. I took some nice pictures of them calm and relaxed. Um, and uh, and then I, I asked if I could go to the studio, and Yoko said, yes, you can come to the studio, but be careful of Phil Spector. He hates photographers. So I tried all night to just avoid Phil Spector. He was in one room, I was in the other. I just kind of moved around him. And uh, at one point, though, I was taking pictures of John was at a piano, and I was kind of against the wall. And Phil came in and kneeled down right next to John. And it was a mic stand, and I tried to stand as quietly and still as the mic stands. I don't know. <laughs> I'm not bothering anybody. And uh, and it worked. And uh, at the end of the night, I took some nice posed pictures of John and Yoko. And then a couple of weeks later, they got in touch with me to use one of those pictures in their album cover. Yeah. And that's when uh, I actually went to go over and show my pictures and show my other pictures. And th- we started uh, getting to know each other. In the book, you said that Yoko invited you after a while, after a couple of meetings, Yoko invited you to hang out with him, uh, with, with her and John, and you could take pictures. They said, look, we're not going to pay you because you're going to make a lot of money selling them. We just want approval. Right. And then you were in, man. You were, they would call you. Yeah. I got excited. Yeah. Bob, I got excited reading the, the, the fucking chapter uh, on Thanksgiving when he was recording with Elton John, whatever gets you through the okay. night. You were yeah. there. You were there yeah. when he said, will you sing this live for me? He goes, well, if it goes to number one, I'll do it. And it did. It did. Yeah. That was an exciting moment. And, that, and again, they didn't call me. They called me for the concert, but the afternoon that John was in the recording studio, I just happened to stop by because I was in the neighborhood as as I would. Like, I just kind of had access to go see him as a friend or, you know, mm-hmm. see what he was doing. But they didn't hire me to be there all the time. Right. <laughs> but I just had a kind of knack for showing up. Like, I, I got there. And I remember walking in the studio and John go, John saying, oh, John's here today recording. Where were you? And I remember saying, well, you could have called me. You know? <laughs> But uh, he said, get pictures, you know, so I took a bunch of pictures of them. And yes, he, Elton said, you know, I'm going to play Masters for Garden. Would you come and sing with me? And John kind of flippantly, he said, yeah, if this song gets to be number one, I'll sing it there. Because whoever expected it to be a number one song? And then it was. And then he had to make good on the promise. And that time they called me in the afternoon. I remember May calling him and said, hey, Bob, you know, uh, John's going to sing with Elton John tonight at the Garden. 
and she said, we got you a ticket. I even have a photo pass. You know? right. <laughs> and I remember getting down to the front of the, you know, working my way to the front of the audience. I think I had an orchestra ticket. And uh, right in the front row, there was a guy, Joe Pope from Boston, who had done the first Beatle Fest. He was a big fan, so he had a front row seat. Mm-hmm. And some guy came out to kind of clear the aisle, and I just kind of shoved Joe over there. Hey, let me share your seat with you. And he was like, you're a big time photographer. Where's your gold photo pass? I said, it doesn't work like that. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, but I did get some good sh- pictures that night. I do remember the roar of excitement when Elton John said, you know, John Lennon, when, when he brought him on. Uh, it was pretty cool. Wow. That's something you didn't plan that day. <laughs> there's, there's also a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of trust. Mm-hmm. Like you said, you know, you wake up every day unemployed. And, and one of the things that struck me in the book is when you said that uh, you said, I'm a good observer and I take things as they come. Mm-hmm. It makes you a good photographer. Is that is it true in your personal life and your in your own kind of uh, emotional makeup? I try to accept things as they are. And uh, I'm kicking and screaming, Bobby. I got to tell you right now, I really <laughs> wish the world would behave. Well, I do, too. I mean, I'm very upset especially nowadays it seems that there's so many people doing such stupid things to each other yeah and i just don't know why people hurt each other so much um it's just mind-boggling i think it's fear bob i mean one of the one of the quotes in the book is uh, the freedom to i love this quote you wrote the freedom to express your feelings out loud and the passion and desire to be fully present in the moment well that's what rock and roll is to me yeah that's it's, it takes a, but it takes a great deal of courage to be fully present in the moment and not being worried about how you're being perceived. Well, people, yeah, very often people are, are just afraid of what's coming and they're worried about what's going to come, which means that they're living in the future. Yeah. You know, uh, they're imagining what might be rather than just waiting to see what actually is, mm-hmm. which very often is not as disastrous as people imagine it to be. And yeah. even if you imagine it to be, there's nothing you can do about it usually. Yeah, And it's funny to think, because when I was a kid, my grandmother used to tell me not to worry about things that I couldn't do anything about. And it took me about 60 years to know what she meant. (laughs) (laughs) To be able to relax and realize when something comes up, like, I can't do anything about that, so I'm not going to worry about it. I'm just Mm -hmm. not going to think about it. I'm going to think about what's going on now. Yeah. Well, because I I think you you fixate on the feeling and then your mind has to, like, make sense of why you you, you have this feeling and they'll project it on something. Yeah, it it, it spawns it spawns out of out of insecurity and change. Change is the only constant. But human beings really don't like uh, or like change or or know how to adapt to it. I wanted to ask you this, because out of all the people you shot, you've seen fame come, you've seen fame go, you've seen people adjust to change and you've seen people that haven't. Uh, David Cassidy, uh, of that mm. chapter in the book was a great example because he like couldn't go anywhere at the peak of the Partridge yeah. family and the poor yeah. guy, you know, at the end of it, he just, when that went away, I don't think he knew who he was. My question to you is this, have you, how do you adapt to change and have you ever had to reinvent? Uh, well, yes. Um, I think I've reinvented what I do now is very different from what I used to do. You know, mm-hmm. trying to see every show there is and take pictures of every band. I know younger people who are doing that still, but it's not something that's really age appropriate for right. me. You know? uh, but uh, luckily I've transitioned. I remember in the 80s kind of moving on from taking pictures to starting to set up gallery exhibits and selling pictures. Mm-hmm. And nowadays, much more is have exhibitions and I give talks and I'm more about selling pictures than taking new ones. Mm-hmm. 
when I was working, you know, in the 60s, 70s, 80s, um, you would make a print or make a transparency and send that to a magazine. They would then send them to a printer, and the printer would transfer that into the materials, the printing plates, and so on. As that turned digital in the 80s and 90s, the printer would do the digital part. Mm. But every 2000, when more and more people had their own computer, you couldn't send a slide or a transparency. So the world really changed to digital. So if I took pictures in film, I still had to make my own trans- scans, my own digital scans to send to a magazine. So around 2000, I switched to digital cameras. And I mean, that's a big question today is you use film or digital? And I've been using digital because it's a digital world. Yeah. And, you know, uh, magazines are digital. Uh, the world is digital. Distribution became a totally digital thing. Uh, and, you know, the idea of when I used to go to a concert, take pictures, and uh, first of all, you didn't know what you had. There was no screen on the back telling you mm-hmm. what you got. So I remember very often people, I'd walk out of a theater, people say, hey, Bob, did you get some good pictures tonight? And I always said, I hope so, because <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't until you got home and developed it that you found out if one of the 27 things that could go wrong, right. uh, you know, happened, or if you got good pictures. So you got good negatives, and then you make pictures, and then... You know, you make prints or slides, and then you send them to a magazine. Uh, nowadays, you take a picture, uh, push a button, and the whole world looks at it. It, it sure. takes a split second. You know, it used to take days or, you know, weeks to get a picture to a magazine. Rolling Stone in the 70s had a lead time of six weeks. I mean, if I took a picture this week and their deadline was next Tuesday, the picture would be in a paper a month and a half later six weeks after the Tuesday deadline. Um, nowadays, it's six seconds. Yeah. <laughs> and it's, your website is there, you know, around the world instantly. Do you fear change? Are you excited by change? I don't fear change. I, I kind of enjoy it. Sometimes it gets to be a bit much. But I think I, I, on the one hand, I mean, I like to come home to my house and things aren't changed much in my house except yeah. that I seem to have added a lot of stuff over the years. Uh, is you know, there's a lot more stuff in the house, uh, and that, but that's pretty constant. But um, I like going to new places, seeing new things. Uh, I used to say my favorite two things was uh, flying out of New York and seeing the Empire State Building fade in the background and going, <laughs> and just <laughs> not as hectic as New York, you know? <laughs> and you know, you're just going to take a breath and move a little slower. And then after three or four days there, my favorite thing is coming back and seeing the Empire State Building and knowing I'm finally back home and I can think, you know, normally again. Yeah. (laughs) I have to ask you about some of my favorite photos uh, that I've had on my wall. Um, The John Lennon New York City T-shirt photo is in the book you said that happened the night before he saw a UFO. Uh, Oh, no, the T-shirt photo is actually a couple of days later. Okay. Uh, a week or so after that. But uh, yes, one night uh, I had Johnny come back to New York. He had a, a, the lost weekend period mm-hmm, with Harry Nielsen. And he was like embarrassed by having a Kotex on his head out in Los Angeles. And he mm-hmm. woke up to how drunk he was in public. So he came back to New York and he got an apartment. He still was separated from Yoko because he was still kind of. He was depressed and drinking and carrying on. And Yoko was more serious and wanted to work. Mm-hmm. And uh, she wanted a drunken guy you know moping around the house so that's when she sent him off and he ended up with may pang um not necessarily as a love affair may worked as his secretary and he's not the first executive to have slept with his secretary 
But anyway, he came back to New York and got an apartment on the east side. So he had a separate, you know, place he was living. And I had gone there once or twice. He invited me over. A uh, very nice little penthouse apartment. And um, and one night I was actually out to dinner with a couple of Elephants memory in Brooklyn. And I got home. And this was the most exciting. Like you talk about celebrity phone calls and stuff. So I got home and I get the – in those days, we didn't have an answering machine or, you know, now it's digital. Uh, back then, you had a phone line that went to an answering service. It was mm -hmm. a room with half a dozen women who would answer your phone line. And I'd get home and call the service, and they said a Dr. Winston called because John didn't want to excite people too much by saying it's John Lennon. Mm -hmm. And the middle name is Winston, so his nickname, his hotel name was Dr. Winston. So I'd get a message, Dr. Winston called. My heart would always jump a beat, like, oh, John Lennon called me. <laughs> So I called him back and he said he wanted me to come up and develop some film. Mm -hmm. And I get to the house and he said that he had been sitting in the living room and he saw some light, a little door to the balcony, to the, the rooftop, you know, uh, with a little balcony outside. That's where I took the New York City picture. And anyway, he saw some lights flashing on the door and his first thought, he thought that was the neon lights from the stores or something outside. When he remembered he was on like the 19th floor and there was no stores outside, you know. Mm -hmm. And um, and he got up to see what it was. He stepped outside and he said he saw a flying saucer in the sky. It's like a science fiction movie, a big round thing with lights around it, kind of floating in the sky. And then he realized the flying saucer. He started screaming, there's a flying saucer, there's a flying saucer. And this was in the uh, beginning of August, I think, and he was naked. It was a hot summer night. So he's standing on his rooftop yelling, there's a flying saucer. <laughs> uh, May came running out to see what he's yelling about. She said she went back and got her camera. So she took a, a, a number of pictures, and John said the thing floated past. And he starts yelling, take me with you, take me with you. <laughs> <laughs> and like I said, I don't know if any neighbors looked out the window, but they go, oh, there's crazy naked John again, you know. <laughs> but anyway, I got home, and I get this message. I went up, and I got the film, and he explained the story. So I took the film home, and I developed it because um, it was a special film, and he didn't want to just take it to a store and wait a week. He wanted to see what happened, you know. Mm -hmm. I put a roll of my film in, I put his film in, and I put a roll of my film on top, and I developed it normally, and his film came out completely blank. Mm. Like my film, both rolls, top and bottom, came out fine, and his roll was not just blank, it was like sci-fi blank, that there was no... the the She had taken half a dozen pictures of John and Ringo in a recording studio at the beginning of the roll. Mm -hmm. Those came, came out. out. No, those didn't come out. Those didn't the come roll, out was blank as if uh, it was like tapped like there's no pictures on his role anymore <laughs> so we didn't know what that meant at all you know so then i said to him you know well, did you call a newspaper the police or anything he said well i can't call and say i'm john lennon i saw a flying saucer i said well i can mm -hmm. <laughs> so i called up the uh, daily news and i asked them if they saw any flying saucers you know if there was any reports of flying saucers and they said up on the east side yeah a couple of people and I called the police, and they said, you know, oh, we get reports of the flying saucer all the time. And I called the New York Times and asked if anybody reported a flying saucer, and they hung up on me. <laughs> <laughs> I also wanted to ask you about Deborah Harry. Deborah Harry played oh. my mother in a pilot I did for Comedy Central. Oh, really? Uh, yeah, I got, to spend, I got to spend time with her, and she was telling me stories. And I started to ask her about the famous picture that you took where she's coming out of the wrecked car. Oh, right. Right. Uh, we actually had some of those in the, the exhibit in Paris just uh, last month. Um, Debbie and, and Blondie were recording their a demo uh, in a 
Radio City Musical Studios. Uh, they're on, I think, 52nd Street, uh, above the Radio City Musical. And, um, or 51st Street and 6th Avenue. Uh, whatever, anyway, uh, above the Radio City Musical. They were recording their demo, and I went to visit, because by that time we were already becoming friends. But um, the fact that, I mean, the, the, those early bands at CBGB's had so little chance of making it. There was what uh, a phrase that was so common was no commercial potential. <laughs> so I went to visit just because I liked the band. I liked the people, but I didn't take any pictures. I don't have any pictures inside the studio of them working there. But as we came out, there was a car wreck that had been on the street for a day or two already upside down on sixth Avenue. I don't know what horrendous thing had happened, but this car was upside down on the side of the road. And uh, I think it was Chris said, Oh, let's take some pictures by the car. And uh, Debbie ran over, and instead of just standing there like some people would do, she crawled into the front of the wreck and came crawling out as if it had been her car accident. <laughs> and Chris had run over, and he put the guitar in the trunk, so it was kind of falling out uh, because it said blonding on the guitar. So it labeled the picture, and Debbie comes out, and she's holding her head, and she's leaning against the car, and she makes it look like her car accident. And a couple of pictures, especially a color one, was like really great where she's on her knees and holding her head. And we sent it to a number of different magazines. And Cream Magazine, of course, has a sense of humor, so they published it with some funny caption. Um, mm-hmm. But I remember the German magazine, Bravo, was like very insistent. What are the facts? What is this picture about? And, <laughs> and there are no facts. It's just a picture. Make up your own story. And they were like so strict they couldn't make up a story. I was like, come on. Just say something funny, you know. <laughs> but the pictures really lasted. And one time I did an interview, actually, for CBS with Debbie. And um, she mentioned that we might have been inspired thinking about the Andy Warhol uh, accident photos, which uh, are something that once you see it, you don't ever unsee it. Mm-hmm. But it was really just spur of the moment. And we had no idea why a picture of a rock singer with a wrecked car would matter but um yeah it just it struck a nerve i mean you can plan yeah. all you want but if you just if if you know things just kind of pop up and you just have to be alert to that kind of thing and uh, and again you don't know what's going to hit and what's not well well that was the thing about change i mean i'm very comfortable not changing but i'm also very comfortable with change and just jump into the spur of the moment and making something happen being spontaneous mm. you know i like to say that i'm i strive for peace and quiet but I thrive in chaos. You that's know, pretty, that's good. <laughs> that's good. Okay. That's good. Is, yeah. is it easier for you, Bob? Is it easier for you to photograph someone that you're a fan of? Um, well, yeah, if I like it, it's I'm having more fun and I feel it more. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can take pictures of anybody anywhere. It's just, you know, it's, uh, it's turned into a job after years of practice. Yeah, yeah. But when I do like somebody, and then particularly when I get to know them and they like me and we spend more time having more time in relaxed situations, I get better, more intimate kind of photos, like with John and Yoko or with other people I work with, um, you know, uh, The Clash, for instance, I spend a lot of time with. Because yeah. uh, I was reading about one of my favorite photos of yours is, is Zeppelin outside the starship. And hmm. it was kind of uh, you said it was kind of antiseptic, you know. Well, at that point, I didn't know them at all. I, I, I met them that day, mm-hmm. uh, you know, kind of shaking hands in the hotel lobby. And we all got into limos and go to the airport. 
And as we got out, I think either Robert or Lisa Robinson said, let's take a picture by the plane. And I said, yeah, just walk over. So what's funny about that is that we were about to go up the stairs to the plane. So we were right there. Mm-hmm. And so we went over, they were by the wing. And I just kind of backed up far enough to see the name on the plane. So the plane is so big, it doesn't fit in the picture, which is something that makes a picture really exceptional, that the plane is just so gigantic. Mm-hmm. You can't even fit in, in the frame, you know, and they have their shirts open. It's summertime. They don't give a uh, you know damn about the world, and they own their own plane. Yeah, uh, they actually don't own the plane. It was called the Enterprise Starship One, and it was rented by different bands. And if you rented it for a month, they put your name on it. And I saw you know Alice Cooper or Rolling Stones. Uh, I was on the plane again with Elton John. Um, and I have a picture of him in front of the plane, but he was on the tarmac just coming out of the terminal. So the plane is kind of in the distance and it looks like a little toy in the background. It's right. impressive. Um, but that day they snuck Stevie Wonder on as a surprise. It was Elton's birthday. And um, they had two bedrooms in the back of this plane. Yeah. <laughs> One of them had a fireplace. It was a pretty fancy plane. And there was a bar in the middle, a brass bar that had built-in keyboards, electric keyboard. And so CB Wonder was hiding one of the bedrooms when Elton came on and the plane took off. And then the publicist, Elton was a little hungover because he had a birthday party the night before. And he just wanted to take a nap because he had to uh, play an arena show in 20 minutes in mm. Boston. The publicist said, you have to come back and meet the piano player. And he's like, no, I don't. And he said, yes, the company hired a piano player to play for you and you have to come and hear it and he's like no i don't really and he said yes you really do you have to come and he they wouldn't stop bugging him until he okay whatever and he comes back and stevie wonder was playing crocodile rock and then he <laughs> birthday, and then he got in a much better mood and i took my picture and you know, i got a nice picture of the two of them together it was great wow what a ride you've had yeah. man you <laughs> saw you saw the who at the Fillmore the night of the fire yeah, that was a big night. They actually had played a week. They played uh-huh. the Tommy Opera plus. They would play three or four songs to warm up, then the whole Tommy Opera, and then three or four more songs. And they did that for a whole week. I was a huge fan, so I was there every night. And then the last night, I brought my wife, and we're watching the show. And towards the end of the show, my wife, do you smell smoke? And I'm like, smoke? No, I don't smell smoke. What? You know, I said, yeah, maybe a little smoke. What? You know, and I look over the balcony. She says, people are getting up and leaving. And uh, and I'm kind of looking down, and people are standing up and kind of looking behind them and making for the side exit. (laughs) At which point, some guy comes out of the audience. He was just wearing a denim shirt and and jeans, jumps on stage and takes the microphone from Daltrey. And before he could say anything, Pete Townsend hits him in the chest with his boot. He just did a flying kick, and the guy went flying backwards, and Rhodes grabbed him, and he was gone. Mm -hmm. And I was like, what the fuck was that? You know? As it turned out, um, Pete was later arrested for assaulting a New York City police officer. Um, but it turned, I mean, it was a really good thing because the police officer was going to jump on stage and say, there's a fire, you have to leave the theater. Yeah. Which was like yelling theater, you know, fire in a crowded theater is about the worst thing you can do in, a, in that situation. Bill Graham came on stage and he said very calmly, I'm sorry, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to have to stop the show now. There's a fire in a building down the street. You're not in danger, but we're required by the fire department to make ask everybody to leave the theater. You know, mm. uh, it's requirements. And there's a theater within a block or two of a fire. You have to leave. And uh, and the whole audience pretty soon was out in the street, and the firemen are trying to clear people away, and you know, 
get hoses on this building. And the band had these limos out there, and they ran out, and so the band is in the limos, but the manager runs back into the theater, up to the dressing room, and I found out later, he got the cart and the cognacs. <laughs> Boom, yeah. Left in the dressing room. He comes running out with that. And then Keith Moon stuck his butt out the window and the moon, the audience, as the, as the limo went down the street. Did you get to know Keith Moon at all? Uh, yes. Um, I helped him find some uh, amphetamine when he first came to New York. Uh, <laughs> and that kind of bonded us. <laughs> and uh, and we were friends uh, whenever I saw him. He was quite a... a Intelligent, but mad, you know, do anything guy. Very, very uh, amusing, but dangerous. Yeah. yeah. I, w- I wasn't there when John had his last weekend in Los Angeles. And uh, I know that uh, Alice Cooper and Keith Moon were part of his posse over there. And, and uh, when John was back a couple of years later, uh, after Sean was born, I think around 76 or something, uh, he was home in the house husband period where he was taking care of the baby. And uh, I, somebody had asked me to deliver a message that Keith Moon was in town and wanted to come and visit. Uh, oh, and they were saying that Keith's, you know, gonna, he doesn't want to drink. He just wants to catch up and say hello and, you know, not to disturb John too much. And John said, no, who wants to see Keith when he's like little Lord Fauntleroy being totally polite and nice? He's a man <laughs> with the madman, but not now, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I had uh, I had Glenn Johns on the show and he was telling me, uh, you know, I would ask him, you know, different. Uh, what, what were your impression of this? I'm just going to give you some names. And I said, Keith Moon. And he went lunatic. He goes, we'd start a song. All you saw was sticks and hair. And then you saw him at the end of the song. That was it. <laughs> yeah, that's a good description. Well, uh, you went through so much stuff in the book. Uh, you know, you, you got sober, you got clean, and the emotional things. You here's one of the things I and I haven't finished the book yet. Like I said, this came to, to it came together last minute. But your your first wife officiated your wedding to your next wife. Yes, we've always remained good friends. It is a little unusual, and we go to her house for Christmas and Thanksgiving, and uh, she's still. I'm, it's family. Yeah, you, you know, I just what I got from from the vibe I got from reading the book and even in talking to you now is that you have a sense of I think you have a sense of gratitude. Do you have any awareness of the, the sense of gratitude you've had or did you cultivate it or did you always have it? Well, I think I, I don't know if I necessarily needed to cultivate it. I've always just been very grateful for mm-hmm. the that I get, you know, the, for the situations, the, the fact that I've stayed relatively healthy and you know, no major accidents, uh, you know, um, things like that, that I'm just grateful for the situations. Uh, and I have ended up in some pretty <laughs> amazing situations. I know. Um, I, I, could you tell the story yeah. when the Hell's Angels made you do meth off a knife? Oh, that was, yeah, interesting. That's a funny way to meet somebody that hold a knife full of crank under your nose. You know, and then <laughs> three years later, you're talking about what your third grade teacher said, you know, <laughs> it's, you know um, it was an interesting relationship. Uh, Sandy Alexander, the president, was a pretty intelligent guy mm-hmm. and, and, and a diplomat. We got along pretty well. Um, but, yeah, a, a lot of amazing situations. Meeting Ike Turner and traveling with Ike and Tina Turner, seeing so many Tina Turner shows, and then staying in touch, staying friends with both of them after they broke up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's great, you know. Uh, it's great. Well, I tell you, the book is a lot of fun. I can't wait to finish it, Bob. Uh, your pictures have been on my wall since I was a kid. 
and they bring me a great deal of pleasure. So thank you so much for your work. Well, thank you. Thank you. It is gratifying to to nowadays as people tell me that, that my pictures inspired them. And uh, I remember even uh, was a piano player for Bon Jovi. And he told me he had that picture on the wall, and he was one of the few people who dreamed about that, and then he ended up being on a rock and roll plane. (laughs) (laughs) The book is a lot of fun. It's called Right Place, Right Time. I recommend it. to anybody uh, who is a rock fan, it's it, it's a really good read. And, and you seem like a really good guy, Bob. So best to you and your well, family. Thank, thank you. you for doing this. Okay. I hope we can meet in person sometime. I love that. Be okay. well, my friend. Right, let me know when you're playing New York. I certainly will. Hi, I'm Bob Gruen, and that's 30 minutes that I won't get back. Oh, that was a lot of fun for me. No, <laughs> I mean... He gets to hang out with John Lennon. He was like, friends Lennon's with him. Lennon's calling him up, being like, dude, what are you up to? Get over here. Yeah. That's that's the coolest thing in the world. Man, that's awesome. Rock and roll, baby. Yeah. I love yeah. that. I love that part of rock and roll. What? The whole iconic kind of personality mm-hmm. of, you know, like three spirits. Mm-hmm. And I love it. Yeah. Well, yeah. The idea of like, I don't care how I'm being perceived. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm acting, you know, and I'm responding to like the art that I that I hear in my head or whatever. Like I'm in, in present in that moment and I'm not self-conscious about how people are going to take this or whatever. And that's the beauty and the freedom of that expression. I mean, if you're doing it right, it's genius. Mm-hmm. And the people he was hanging out with and the work that he did was genius. I mean, it was just in the moment. It was perfect. Yeah, I, I'm doing this for me. I don't care, but get the publicist and get the word out. We need a new album to really be a big hit. The record company's on our ass. <laughs> <laughs> but he seems to be a great guy to be around. I really enjoy talking to him. I mean, I've seen the pictures and I was a little fan. I, I said go have dinner with him. He wants to have dinner with you. That'd be nice. He that seems, would be nice. I mean, amazing. Just to, someone who, you know, there's some people on the planet that you are so relaxed it brings out the best in you mm-hmm. and it seems like he can do that like with john and yoko mm-hmm. with you know whoever he's photographing yeah, for he's, sure people people are comfortable and, and feel safe around him to to allow him to get access to the real the essence of them and that's when he could take a picture yeah i mean even that picture that you were talking about with deborah herrick and i'm thinking oh, to myself, it's great isn't it it is great i thought to myself look fellas i survived this wreck right you know that's what it's kind of saying in a way yeah don't you think like i'm rock and roll yeah. and i, I yeah. look at I me just, crawling I, out of this wreck and i, I look great looked, i just looked at that picture when it came out i'm gonna go god she really can't drive <laughs> like, that's how you took it <laughs> i was like she i was like she's living the life she's she, she's living this life and she just wrecked the car but she's got to get to the gig and she looks so cool that's how it. you took it that's how i took it yeah. i took it like hey even this wreck can't keep me down, and I look good. Yeah, well, you see, obviously, Stern, she's taking one of my gummies, and that's what she is now. <laughs> I couldn't no, do but- Bob's job, because with my person, I'd be like, look, I'm working here. Do me a favor. Meet me halfway, Pete. Give me one windmill. I'll get the shot, and we'll go have some brandy. It's Work with me. Help me help you, Townsend. See, there you go. What? You're not in the moment. You're not feeling it. I know. It. You're, you're not enjoying it. I'm connected you're just, to outcome. I'm connected to outcome. You're on a freaking schedule. I, I got, look, I, hurry up. This podcast has to end soon. I have shit to do. <laughs> that sucks, man. I know. You're a downer. It's a, Thank you. You're a downer. <laughs> yeah, what would John say to you? Come on, Adam. Let's have a, bit, a little bit of a laugh. There yeah. we go. Yeah. You and, know? I mean, come on. No, they, John would go like this. It's the UFO. Put your clothes on. <laughs> Take me with you. Okay, when he said, take, take me with you, I mm-hmm. thought to myself, well, he's in a bad place because he doesn't want to be 
where he is. Well, he's is already, that what he oh, meant? No, 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 no. I disagree, Alex. Okay. I think he's he's in he was the quintessential artist. So he always wanted to break through boundaries. And it's like, what greater experience could an artist or a human have than go off with aliens? Be like, oh, my God, I've got to experience that. I want to see that. I think he was just utterly fearless when it came to new stuff mm-hmm. in sort of like unplowed snow or, you know, you know, you know what I'm talking about. It just mm-hmm. the unknown. I think he was totally undaunted by that. I love that. He had a book. Uh, I forget what book I read of him, but it was like when they when they first took acid. Um, Paul actually said, he's like, you know, there's, you know, you could, you could see things differently. And John was very excited by that. And I was like, you know, I don't know. Let's get some funny little thing where I could never get back home again. I was frightened by it. But John was like, would embrace it. See, I've read too many Reddits. Okay. What did they say on Reddit? (laughs) You get probed and you don't want to be there and there's a bright light. Uh, What? Being, being... Abducted by an alien. It's called oh. abduction. Oh, they're gonna it's look not at- like, here you go, come on here to our nice VIP plane. No, they're going to look at your ass. That's yeah, the first so thing they do. That's Let me why, see the ass. <laughs> that's why I thought that way, Mark. Yeah. Well, okay. Let me ask you this: Do you think the Do you think the aliens knew who he was? Do you think they did any research at all? Or what, let's take the naked guy off the balcony. <laughs> I gotta think if they came all the way here and they're they're flying around New York, they're like, oh my god, that's a beetle. He wants to come with us. You we think they go. go to farms and they get people like out? You know, you uh, guys are missing it. Go ahead. They passed him up. Well, maybe they couldn't. Well, maybe stop. they didn't hear. <laughs> they were late. We'll be back, they- John. Maybe they were in a doom cycle going, I'm not taking the naked guy. There's nothing but trouble. <laughs> He's a handful. Yeah. That guy. Yeah. <laughs> but I love, I, well, first of all, I love John Lennon. He's one of my all-time heroes. And But I love that, you know, fearlessness and not, not worried about the unknown. And to talk about Bob for a second, you're basically working without a net. Yeah. And yeah. The fearlessness that's involved in that. And it's like, I didn't really know how to make this work. And like he almost when he talked about that Tina Turner picture, like he didn't really know what he was going to get. And he got something that was iconic. And it's like, oh, I guess I just have to trust my senses and trust my gut instincts. And and this will work itself out, which, Adam, maybe you want to take a little cue from. Yes, Adam. You're absolutely right. I should be Tina Turner. (laughs) (laughs) First, we do things quiet. Then we do things rough. rough. (laughs) Big wheels keep on turning. Turning. Mary keep on burning. Roll it. Roll it. Roll it on the river. (laughs) 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 Okay, can I interrupt you? Yes, go ahead. Okay, let's get back to Bob. Okay, fine. (laughs) Okay, so he obviously had great instincts. Yes. And trusted them. What are your instincts, Adam? I want to leave. I've had enough. <laughs> you got to get to your instincts. I want to lay down. I have the instincts on stage. I have my instincts. Here's the thing. When I am on stage, that is my state of grace. I can go. I can talk to yep. an audience. Boom. But the same mechanism that makes me be able to, to elevate an entire room and tie it all together. And I don't know how I do it. I'm just grateful I can. But then it, what, what makes the good stuff also makes the bad stuff. So then I go off in the other direction. Uh-huh. Yeah. So how are you going to solve this? I think I'm just going to die. I think that's it. I don't oh, think it that's gets... not on my time schedule. Okay, thank no. you. You can't die. I have things I need you to do. Uh, yeah, I have <laughs> things you need to enjoy. That's true. You know what it is? I got it. I think I'm. I think I'm bottoming out right now. I'm giving myself a friggin' ulcer. I think I'm bottoming <laughs> out right now. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, you got to learn to trust Adam. Mm. Yeah, trust that you're enough. 
All right, that's good. I hate you. You know what this reminds <laughs> me of? That you can't appreciate it's like in the moment, what? you know? Remember when I took you out into the woods? This was like a month ago or two months ago. <laughs> this like, so I want you to see something beautiful, and you're like, "How? Long, when are we gonna get back? It's yeah, hot. What are we yeah, doing? Hot. Yeah. This, you're looking at me all dreamy-eyed, going, "Adam, go for a walk in the woods with me." <laughs> you know what the next thing's gonna be? Show me your ding ding. Okay. <laughs> Will you stop with that clip? <laughs> Goodness. <laughs> but it's about being present in the moment, appreciating. I've told this a million times. Mm. Nothing gets me angrier at a concert or like a sporting event when there's something big going on and everyone pulls out their phone or looking at their phone. Am I recording this correctly? Yeah. And you're yeah. not even soaking in the moment a hundred percent. You're too focused on other stuff and you kind of miss that magical time. I agree. You know? Yeah, it's true. And Adam, your imagination dreams up what could happen. The worst possible scenario. Yeah. Cause you, you mm -hmm. expect that you prepare for the worst and hope for the best, you know? Yeah. It's not working. It's not all disaster. It is in my head. That's a scary thing. I know. We need to scoop that out. I know. I know. Scoop it out? Yeah. Scoop is there it out. a medical procedure? I yeah. don't know, but I'm going to figure that out. It's a Richie Valens song. La, 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 He never took a picture of Richie Valens. No, but he... Okay, now this is the geeky thing that I think about when I'm hearing somebody go through rock history. Mm -hmm. He's talking about being at CBGB's, you know, he's with Zeppelin on the runway, mm -hmm. with Elton John, like all these, and John Lennon and Yoko, of course. Mm -hmm. Makes me think about, because I love history, like the time, like the moment in rock history that I wish I could project myself back into to, to be there live and see it firsthand. And I always come back to, like, I wish I could go to Hamburg in the early 60s and see the Beatles play before they were the Beatles. You know right. what I mean? I just want to see them when they were just letting it all hang out and see the very beginnings of their genius and their greatness. I would go with you. I would go with you, but I would go over to Pete Best. I was like, don't get too used to this. Just believe me. <laughs> don't. I know you're having fun now, but... It's not going to work out, Pete. Can you, can you know, carpentry? You know anything? Can you drive a bus? <laughs> you like baking? Yeah, you want to be a baker? Yeah. Maybe get your CDL. Drive a big rig. Be nice. Or a lorry. I think you guys call it a lorry. I'm I, just saying. I have a good question to that. Go ahead. Would you still go back if you knew that your presence there mm -hmm. might change or alter anything that happened? I'll tell you what, honey, I wouldn't go back to that moment. I would go back to 1980 to Dakota. go, John, come here. Let's not go home right away. Come here. Let's walk around the block. Okay, sure. Okay. Yeah. Take I, a walk I agree with you. I agree with you. Yeah. I'd be right there with that you. That one I would change. All right, well, what about you, Alex? What moment would you like to go back and visit? Well, if I had to pick one, mm -hmm. I'd probably go back to the first time Ella Fitzgerald was in a recording studio at Verve Records. Really? Yeah. All right. That's good. That would be amazing. Scotty, take Adam, it would sound way different than that. Goodness. I love that song. <laughs> Sorry, Ella. <laughs> I want to thank the legendary Bob Gruen for being my guest. It was a real treat for me to uh, to have time to talk to him. Honey, if they want to get a hold of us, where do they go? The Adam Ferrara at Gmail. Uh, thank you guys so much. Uh, the show is growing. Leave us a review. That helps us with our friend. Mr. Algorithm. And tell 89 people you love about the show because that will really help us out. Uh, we, we are trying to grow our audience and we need you to do it. Please come see me on the road. I will make you laugh. And remember that we are all in this together, brothers and sisters, so please share the road. 
and life is odd, so you take it easy on yourself. The pot is ended. Go in peace. If there was one thing you could change about Alex. I would happen? like her to be as nuts as I am so I have someone to scream with me. <laughs> <laughs> Don't you see the danger and peril we're in at every waking moment, woman? That's right. Extinguish an angelic light so you feel better, you selfish dick. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because, you know, if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish. Or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com.